So last week we looked at the conclusion uh, to the area of relationships in the Christian life. It's relationships uh, in respect to those inside the church, those who are believers, and to those who are outside the church. From experience, we know that as we demonstrate Christ-like love toward other Christians, uh, say in our home and in the family of God, it will naturally spill out to the outside world, to our relationships to the wider world. In verse 8, it gave us principles so that the whole church can be united. We are one body, as Paul says, and so that we can live uh, in peace. In, in verse 9, it's sort, of a, it's sort of a crossover verse. And by that, I mean that all who have the new birth are to be a blessing for others. We are not a tit-for-tat people, but, in, but a turn-the-other-cheek but turn type people. It doesn't mean we roll over um, and let the world scratch our belly. The blessings we are to be is not dependent on how other people treat us, but a basis for living in this world is in God's sovereign work on our behalf. Everything Peter has been commanding in his letter is really the how we demonstrate our new birth to each other and the world. People outside the church may hear what we say, but just as important uh, to God and to them is how we act, what we do. I've said it a few times now, our possession of faith must match up to our profession of faith. What we believe must be enacted in our lives. The outside world watches us with a critical eye and it will judge us based on whether our actions match up with what we declare. The most important thing we can do in this life is to live according to God's word. Psalm 1 tells us that if you desire God's blessing, then delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. Before us begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your written word. Uh, Lord, we have it in plentiful in our shelves and in our devices. Help us to read it, help us to meditate on it, help us to live according to your word, that we might be a pleasing aroma to you, that our prayers might be heard, and that we might live according uh, to your precepts and give glory to your name. Give us ears to hear as we hear your word preached today, Lord. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, please keep it open to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 10 through to 12. In these verses, 10 through 12, um, it's, it's really a, mostly a quote from Psalm 34. And we see that in our pew Bibles. It's very nicely written there. It's a poem David wrote when he fled Israel and had to pretend to be mad before the king of Gath. You may remember the event uh, when David became famous by slaying the giant, Goliath. Goliath came from this city, the same city David ran to. Now, I don't know what in the world came to his mind. I'm going to just run to Goliath's hometown. They'll love me. But this was when Saul was chasing him. And he'd been chasing him for a while. And I think he was sick of running. He wanted to hide for a while. 
In verse 10, we read, For he who would love life and see good days. Sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel a bit, doesn't it? But Peter, but is Peter really saying in, in this quote that all we have to do to live a healthy and wealthy life here and now is to follow the things in verses 10 through 12? That in order to live a comfortable life, free from poverty and illness, all you need is to keep your mouth from the gutter, stay away from bad things, be a do-gooder, and pursue peace. The question then arises from this way of thinking, what does it mean to turn away from evil? That's going to be subjective. What I think is bad might not be what you think is bad. Then we go back to postmodernism from last week. What does it mean to do good? What kind of peace are we seeking? Do we seek the same peace as the world, as some churches have gone down in the last few years? But if we follow this interpretation to its end, we become bitterly disappointed. We don't find the peace that comes from God, that transcends all understanding. For there is no true peace away from God. Peter has been telling us since the letter began that we believers do not belong in this world, that we are elect exiles, sojourners, pilgrims. In chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, he encourages us to look at who we are in Christ, what God has given us. In chapter 2, we're told that we are living stones, that we are a spiritual house, a holy nation, a holy priesthood, all indicators that we don't belong to this current world, though we still have to reside in it. The word holy uh, in its simplest form just means separated for God's purposes. But for he who would love life and see good days, in its original context from David, dictated a future time when God would bless David with the kingship of Israel. It was a life of material blessing that David wrote about. David went through all kinds of trials and adversities and we read it in 1 Samuel. But God always blessed him, didn't he? It was always there, always holding on to him as he went through these trials. Not once did Saul ever catch up to David and spear him. Not once did his enemies ever completely destroy him. God always brought him through each danger and blessed him. And if we want to be completely honest, we can say that God blessed him while going through these trials. He held on to him. That poem about uh, the footsteps in the sand is a great one. Except it's always God carrying us through everything. There is only one set of footprints. And we can expect the same, the same God who helps David helps us in our hour of need. But within the, the, this context of 1 Peter, if you remember, these are, are people living in uh, what we call today Turkey mostly, and they were, they were getting persecuted by the locals. Um, they weren't, they weren't worshipping their gods, they weren't going to their, their pagan feasts, and so they were being 
persecuted. But Peter longs for believers to look to their eternal home first and foremost, where moth and rust do not destroy. In this respect, at the front of Peter's mind is the idea of the eternal kingdom of God, what we call heaven. However, this does not mean that God doesn't bless us in this life. Some of the greatest men in the Bible, in the Old Testament, were blessed with material things from God as a result of their faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Job, David, Solomon, Daniel. Um, the Rad, Meshach, Radshak and Abednego, I'll get it wrong, but... Uh, but being part of God's family doesn't mean that you will be blessed with wealth and health and I think we already know that, don't we? Many of us go through hard times. Many of us have bad health continually. Jesus epitomised the righteous man yet had nowhere to lay his head. Paul is one of the most blessed men in the New Testament yet he too had nothing to call his own. He had a few scrolls and a cloak to keep him warm in the winter. Love life and seeing good days has very little to do with comfortable living. Lots of money, house, cars, caravans, great health. God can and does bless people with these things, but that is not the most important thing to God. Being a good and faithful servant is. A person who sweats the Bible in every part of life. Spurgeon once said of John, John Bunyan that he sweats Biblion, that he sweats the Bible. That's how much the Bible was integrated in John's life and it should be in every part of our lives too. It should be in every part of our home. It should be in the workplace, in the shops, in the car, while on the internet. Peter's, in Peter's mind, to love life and see good days means being in touch with the Creator and fostering a sense of his gracious hand at work in the world and our own lives. Especially as we go through the hard times. So how does this happen? Well, we're told in verses 8 and 9, aren't we? But Peter repeats his message with the quote from the Psalms. Continuing in verse 10, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his mouth and his lips from speaking deceit. To love life and see good days, we first must keep our mouths from speaking evil. When Isaiah was brought into God's presence in Isaiah 6, his first response was to pronounce doom upon his lips. His response to, to God's presence was, Woe is me! For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Though David calls us to use our mouths to proclaim his gospel, sing his praises and speak his glory and honour, we use them in malice. We use them to deceive to slander others. 
In James chapter 3, he says of the tongue, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And a tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Strong words. A few verses on, he says, But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God, and of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. We curse men who have been made in the image of God. Jesus explains to his disciples in Matthew 15, verse 19, Out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. So what comes out of our tongue, out of our mouth, is really in our heart. And James responds to this evil. These things ought not be so. If we are to love life and see good days, we are told also in verse 11 of 1 Peter 3, let him turn away from evil and do good. When Adam, Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating the forbidden fruit, they turned away from God. The result is sin. And everybody has sinned. Everybody has turned away from God. Romans 3 verse 12 There is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Every human has turned aside to their own way. We all like sheep have gone astray. Not one of us has ever sought after God. It is God who seeks after us. It is God who comes down, gives us a new heart, makes us alive. He is the only one who has ever sought us for our salvation. The act of salvation is by God's grace alone. Those who have been given life through the death of Jesus have the responsibility to separate ourselves, to separate yourselves from evil. And this can only be done with the help of the Holy Spirit and it can only be done if you have the Holy Spirit. It's what we call sanctification, that big word which we all should know. It's the, the making holy, the holifying of us as we grow in our love and our knowledge of God as we grow to maturity. Evil in its most general form is anything that opposes God's standards. If the most important thing in your life is contrary to the good and holy purposes received in God's word, there's only one course of action we can take. Turn away from it. Resist its lure. It's a false happiness. 
and a false peace. The act of turning away from evil is hard enough when things are going well. But let's remember that Peter was writing to believers who were being shunned by society, persecuted by the authorities. We all have that knee-jerk reaction, don't we? When someone says something or does something against us. But Peter is telling us that we are not to give in to that impulse. Reject it, turn away from it, be evil, and do good. Bless instead of curse. Like everything, Peter, uh, like everything, Peter also gives the cure. Uh, still in verse 11, let him seek peace and pursue it. With the same intensity and aggressiveness we have in turning away from evil, we are to turn towards something, and that is God's peace. We are to seek and pursue peace. We get ourselves into trouble when we downgrade peace to having no backbone. A few years ago when the, the marriage debate was going on with um, gay marriage and I don't mean to pick on, on that but that's just foremost in my mind. Um, I, I spoke here before that I was speaking to someone and they said they were a Christian and they said they were voting for the gay marriage, marriage um, laws to be changed because they had a grandson who was gay and they just wanted that person to be happy. What a false peace, a false happiness we live in. Seek true peace. But the false, false peace has been around since Adam and Eve. In Jeremiah's day, we had false prophets telling the people exactly what they wanted to hear. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14, the false prophets were telling the people of Israel, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Peace. R.C. Sprawl in his commentary says this There is such thing as false peace. At times we do not want to rock the boat or disturb the peace. But no one ever disturbed the peace more than the Prince of Peace, whose very presence provokes spiritual warfare. We are to seek peace, but it is a godly peace we are to pursue, not the peace of the flesh. The peace of the Beatitudes is not the peace of the world. The peace of God will naturally bring Satan and his minions against us as we pursue godly peace. Jesus says in John 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world Gives, do I give you peace? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We find peace in the same place we find everything else, the Bible. Continuing in John 16, verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We can seek God's peace because God's already won the battle. He's won the war. True peace, the only peace worth seeking and pursuing with all your heart, comes from God. 
It's the peace of being fully convinced of the reality of that your salvation is secure in Christ. We seek peace by going to the one who is peace, the Prince of Peace. We pursue peace by studying his word because in it, in the pages of Holy Scripture, we discover the God of peace. And through the inward work of the Spirit as we read the word, he burns a fire in us, helps us to understand it. We begin to understand God's peace. And we understand that God's peace is at odds with the world. The world tries to bring peace by, in a sense, conforming everyone to itself, to its ideals. But God's word tells us that peace only comes when we transform our lives to his image. It's really getting back to the image bearers of Christ that we were in Adam, that Adam and Eve were before the fall. That is true peace, following God, submitting to his rule. And that's what we are to passionately pursue. In verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. To be a Christian is to be under the tender, watchful gaze of our Heavenly Father. God told Israel in Deuteronomy 11, But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it, from the beginning of the year to the end. 2 Chronicles verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. The Lord cares for his people. And so we are assured that his eyes are upon us to lift us up and to give us life, not to destroy us. Not only are his eyes upon us, but his ears are open to our prayers if we are following these rules. Believers who resist the urge to bite back at others who speak wickedly about them or to them who turn away from evil and do good, who pursue peace, are heard by God in their prayers. In other words, if you're living the holy life God desires, showing humility and submitting to all authority, God will take his fingers out of his ears and hear you. He will listen to you. Note that it doesn't say that he'll give you what you want. but that he will open his ears and listen to you. If you really want God to answer all your prayers, it's a simple formula. Pray according to his will. Do we still need help there? Let's look at the prayers of the Bible. I won't go through them, I don't have time, but look at them in your own time. What kind of prayers did Paul pray? What did he ask his friends to pray for him? Very rarely, if ever, 
did he ever ask for physical healing? Heal me so I can go forth and preach the gospel to more people. No. He asked that he would be given the strength to carry out the orders God had given him. However that came about. Rather, blessed is the man who fears God and keeps his commandments. The text finishes on a bit of a downer, I'm sorry, and so because it does, I must too. And perhaps what I have to say now may leave a bad taste in your mouth. It's in our text, so here it is. At the end of 12. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. How many times have we heard about the person who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in the salvation through Christ, yet in a time of deep crisis, prays to God? Amos gives us an answer here. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts and I do not savour your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fattened peace offerings. Saying God doesn't, is not one to be crossed. You don't follow me, you don't listen to me, you don't live by my rules, then I will turn my back on you. You turn away from me and I will turn away from you. And you will not be accepted in the next life. This is why I preach the gospel from the pulpit. One, so his people, so my brothers and sisters in Christ, may truly shine as lights as we glory in the word of God. But also so that you and this message may go out to others who don't know the gospel, that they too may know our God and King. They might not be lost sheep, but found and in the fold. That God's blessing, God's face may shine on them and bring them peace. I could have went to the, the classic um, ironic blessing here, but I, I resisted. I'm going to Proverbs 3, 5 and 8 and I'll finish here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your written word. We thank you that uh, by reading your word and studying it, we draw closer to you and we are bathed in your glory and we find true peace. Help us to go forth from today and live in your peace to pursue your peace, to turn away from evil and do good. Through Christ we pray. Amen.